0: Applications write data to persistent storage, like a database. The most popular database query language is SQL, which has many similar dialects. SQL is expressive and powerful for describing what data you want. What you do with that data requires a solution in the form of a data pipeline. Ideally, these analytical workflows can follow similar best practices to those handled in application code. DBT is a transformation workflow that lets teams deploy analytical code following software engineering best practices like modularity, portability, CICD, and documentation. Users who know SQL can build production-grade data pipelines. In this episode, I interview Tristan Handy, CEO and founder of DBT Labs. Tristan, welcome back to Software Engineering Daily.
1: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me
0: can you tell me a little bit about your current role and what you're up to there?
1: Oh, my current role. So I am the CEO and founder of a company that was called Fishtown Analytics is now called DBT Labs. We changed their name over the summer. And we have been for a little over five years, the maintainers of an open source product called DBT that helps data analysts and data engineers do transformation inside of the modern data stack. So Most commonly used with data warehouses like Snowflake, BigQuery, even data lake houses like Databricks.
0: So, most companies are already set up on that kind of infrastructure. If I'm a data analyst, I have some access to it. What sort of transformations can you help me with above and beyond what I might do in basic SQL?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, under the hood, DBT is actually running SQL against your data warehouse. And so the question is, why do you want something to help you run SQL if you are competent at writing SQL yourself? And I like to make the comparison to Rails. So prior to 2006, you could certainly build a web app, but it required a high degree of technical sophistication. And then along comes Rails, and it lights on fire. And not only does it Become a widely used framework, but it changes who can actually build web applications. It predates and is largely, I think, the cause of all of the software engineering boot camps that happened in the late 2000s, early 2010s. And the fact that now it is very common, I mean, I do a tremendous number of interviews for software engineers. And certainly there are still folks who come from a computer science background, but that is not nearly as required as it, as it used to be. And so the Rails framework essentially means that you're working up, and you know plenty of frameworks have done this since then, but it was, I think, the first and biggest. But it enabled software engineers to work up one layer of abstraction. And DBT does the same thing. If you compare the same type of workloads written in raw SQL versus written in DBT, You'll find that the DBT code is generally at least 50% fewer lines of code. And in certain instances, it's like two orders of magnitude fewer lines of code. And that's just because DBT provides programming abstractions that SQL just doesn't have. And it provides them in the same light way that like a web templating language would. It uses Jinja 2 at its heart, which is originally what was developed for web application development. But we've enhanced Jinja to provide functionality that data engineers and data analysts find useful. Things like the ability to construct this DAG-directed acyclic graph of data transformations and have a native understanding of how all of these things map to each other. That's one example, but it goes pretty deep. So... In the same way that you certainly can write raw CSS, HTML, and JavaScript to build a web application today, but no one really does that. We're going through a similar transition in data engineering. You can write it all by hand, but it turns out that that's increasingly just not a great idea.
0: Yeah, with the growth of many frameworks, React, Vue, Angular, these sorts of things, it wouldn't surprise me if successful software engineers had limited experience to HTML and CSS and things like that, as they kind of seem to become a little more lower level in the software stack. Do you imagine the same evolution for SQL and the data analyst? Will there come a day when someone learns DBT and is not maybe as proficient in SQL because they're using something higher level?
1: I love that question. I've never been asked that before. I can imagine a trajectory in that direction. So I'm a data analyst and not a software engineer by trade. So I can't go like super, super deep on the similarities and differences between the the evolution. But I will say that when I was learning kind of basic web development, it was in the like 2003 to 2010 timeframe. And you couldn't, during that period, build a web application without knowing HTML, CSS. This is pre-React. This is, you know, pre a lot of stuff. And So I think that that's kind of the phase that we're in right now. You cannot really use DBT without knowing SQL, but DBT gives a SQL using data analyst, data engineer, the ability to do a lot more and with a lot more leverage. I could imagine you take the framework and you keep developing it. I could imagine additional layers of abstraction. I could imagine React-like ways of expressing similar concepts that today you have to write out the SQL statement but in the future, maybe you express it in a different way that's more abstracted away from the raw SQL.
0: So for a listener who knows SQL and maybe some basic programming experience, let's not assume too much, what does dbt code look
1: like when they first encounter it? If you know SQL, you can learn essentially two function calls that dbt gives you, and magically you know dbt. One of those function calls is the ref statement, That enables you to reference another model, another, you know, our word for these atomic units of data transformation is a model. So ref is probably one of the two most important calls you need to know. The other one is config and config tells dbt how to actually materialize a given data model inside the data warehouse, either a a view or a table or an incrementally built table, or there's other ones as well, but those are probably the, the main three. And if you know SQL and you learn those two method calls, then you're magically a, a DBT programmer. You can go a lot deeper than that, though. You can design your own functions that compile down to SQL but are much more modular and reusable. You can write your own materializations so that DBT is taught brand new ways to like take your code and materialize it in the warehouse. That's where all the DDL comes in at the database layer. You can learn to select results back into the DBT context from the warehouse and then iterate over them and operate on them, that's a great way to dynamically construct code that ends up being very repetitive. That is, you know, things like pivoting out the results of a query, making multiple columns based on the results of another query. So when I thought about the kind of the original constructs here, I always went back to a game that I played as a kid called Othello, it's You may have this in your, in your game closet. It's moderately popular, but not everybody's played it. But the, I always remember that the box that I had as a kid, it said, minutes to learn, a lifetime to master. So we've always tried to make DBT very accessible for anybody that knows SQL, but you can continue going deeper and deeper for a long time.
0: So prior to DBT, one approach, I think, is organizations had to invent the wheel on their own was to leverage stored procedures. I see this especially in the mm. Microsoft SQL server world where for some companies, there's quite a surprising amount of logic packed into these and maybe they're even version controlled. Can you compare and contrast that approach to the benefits of adopting a tool like DBT?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I have lived in that world. It often ends up being very spaghetti-ish, even if you have the very best of intentions when you, when you start out. So the core of DBT is declarative. So let me say this. It's declarative, and that's opposed to stored procedures, which end up having all of these more constructs that that you would think of in in a standard programming language, if-then statements, loops, et cetera, et cetera. Our original inspiration was Terraform. In fact, DBT came out of a conversation that I had with with my co-founder, Connor, where he showed me Terraform and how he used it in his job as a DevOps engineer. And I said, that's what I need. I need Terraform for data. And the wonderful thing about Terraform is that it is idempotent. So meaning you can have no idea of what the state of the system is at the beginning, and you can run it, and you can be very confident that the state of the system at the end matches what you want. And that is 100% definitely not the case for data transformations written in stored procedures, they tend to be very procedural. And if you don't have a perfect understanding of what the system looks like at the beginning, they're very fragile, and you can get results that you don't expect very quickly. With dbt, you can literally blow away the schema or the database or whatever construct you're operating in. You can destroy the entire thing, run dbt, and the state of the database at the end of that run will look exactly the way that your code describes. And I think that that is the biggest difference. It is a very robust way of expressing this logic. And all of a sudden, you reduce failures in your data pipelines by just a tremendous amount. I mean, that used to be a question that we would get all the time from users. Like, how do you you handle failures? And our answer was, the programming model just reduces failures to such an extent that you, like, the only way that you experience them is there's some human error in the code that you didn't catch during CI, or there some data point came into the system that you never wrote, never handled for, and that's broken something. But it's just a very robust way of expressing data transformations.
0: What about error handling when the limits of the underlying database are challenged? I've been in some situations where we push too hard or maybe somebody was doing too many table scans and this sort of thing, and failures need to occur simply because of the operations of the system. How does DBT help the user navigate through a situation like that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So to be very clear, DBT does not make a ton of sense when being used against prior generations of database. So databases that have very constrained resources, whether that's memory or disk, dbt kind of assumes that you're operating on top of a cloud-native architecture that kind of scales to infinity. That is a true statement, you know, essentially, when you apply it to products like Snowflake or like BigQuery or or like Databricks. And so if you write a query that has terrible performance properties, DBT will just run it. And you may find that when you look back at your logs, that that took eight hours to complete. And that's probably not desirable, but it did finish. And it finished because the resources that you were working with were so scalable. So you have a couple of choices. You can either like scale up, you know, if you're on Snowflake, you can say, I want to run this eight hour thing on a bigger node, or you can use the explain plan inside your database of choice. And you can actually performance tune that query in general. If you're applying, we call the practice of doing data modeling in dbt analytics engineering. And so if you're applying analytics engineering, best practices including, you know, using your your optimizer well, uh, debugging queries using the explain plan and then using incremental processing appropriately, you're just not gonna run into an upper bound in terms of like what types of data you're able to transform using DBT on cloud native databases.
0: In my own anecdotal experience, I find organizations are often kind of inventing things, some home homegrown solution for how they manage their queries and things like that. Often in stark contrast to software groups that seem to have developed some pretty formal procedures from, you know, source control and test-driven development and all these kinds of steps. Can you talk a little bit about how DBT can help bring some of those formalities that software engineers seem to be leading on to the data analyst world?
1: That's my jam. That's like the thing that I get excited about. But before talking about it from a tooling perspective, I think it's it's also important to talk about it from just like organizational culture perspective because we actually treat software engineering teams inside of companies differently than we treat data teams to the extent that like the company even has a data team. Oftentimes it's a bunch of people embedded in business units who use Excel or, or tableau and don't really have any kind of centralizing features to the, the work that they're doing. I think that in software engineering, there has been this realization over whatever it's been five decades, maybe probably more that it just doesn't serve an organization to have executives directly controlling the, the roadmap of software engineering teams. You, you just don't see you know the CEO going up to a software engineer and tapping them on the shoulder and saying like, hey, I know that you are working on this thing, but I need you to drop everything and work on this other thing. And <laughs> that is an experience that data analysts have like every day, all day, you know, shoulder tapping is the norm. they things that data analysts do are really not typically thought of as like the investment in a strategic resource that compounds over time and needs to be managed in the, the same kind of way that you would think about, you know, stewarding a code base for a product that your company builds. So I think that that is fundamentally one of the things that that needs to change. And often when I talk about how DBT helps data professionals, analysts and engineers build up this, essentially a repository of knowledge, like the things that the organization knows, there's like this blank stare. Like that's not a thing that we we've even thought was possible. <laughs> but for the folks who, really get it, which are oftentimes are the practitioners, the DBT viewpoint resonates tremendously. It means that a data analyst from, you know, previously doing all of this disconnected kind of one-off work that was like, whatever, figure out the fastest way to ship this thing and, and send it in an email to an executive and then move on to the next thing. Instead transforms into this very strategic job where you're slowly building layers of meaning and you're writing it all in code. It is going through a version control and then a CI C D process. It is getting automatically tested. And DBT is at the heart of all of this, both the expression of code as well as the framework for testing and the CI CD process. And it dbt has resonated so strongly with analysts because they realize that it is their path from being kind of a junior resource that is at the whim of every executive at the company to being a strategic resource that the longer you continue to do what you do, the higher your leverage within the organization is, and therefore the, the better your career path.
0: When an organization is going to bring DBT in, how does that adoption get started? Is it that data analyst looking to do more in their role, or is it uh, maybe a CIO who says this is the tool we need to pick?
1: It's a mix. The more common is the data analyst. And there are some great examples of data analysts who have brought in DBT against a tremendous amount of resistance from their organization, even from like technical leadership in their organization. One of the wonderful things about being open core is that, you know, if there's a data analyst who understands the value, it is actually quite hard for their organization to prevent them from getting value out of the thing. You can download it, install it, and kind of go to town, as long as you have credentials to the organization's data warehouse. And from the other end, there is this this big shift that is happening in the largest organizations in the world. They are moving from on-prem to cloud, and they've already gone through that process often with a lot of their applications but they are now and a lot of times it is the combination of snowflake bigquery or databricks that are kind of pushing the organizations in this direction leaders are seeing that there's now an opportunity to move data processing to the cloud as well and when you make that kind of shift it is an opportunity to reimagine all of the different things that you did in your in your prior environment and so we are Are fortunate to be drafting on a trend that is it's much bigger than than just us because it turns out that you know what's the best way to do data transformation inside of you know on-prem tools it's it's not dbt dbt was designed for the cloud and so as these organizations move into the cloud they ask well what's the best way to do this in the cloud and and then they get pointed towards us
0: when I think of the existing toolbox a data analyst has, there's obviously some SQL interface of some kind. Often that's sort of a given to you by your organization, just to what fits with what product you have. If you're on SQL Server, it's probably SQL Server Management Studio or something like that. Is DBT a similar application? I install it on my machine and it sits on top of SQL, or is there more of an enterprise level way that uh, my IT support staff is going to have to help with?
1: Okay, certainly there are Tightly coupled products, and you know, you mentioned one. And the nice thing about SQL, though, is that it's pretty permissionless. It's not maybe as permissionless as a protocol like HTTP, but if you understand how to speak SQL Server wire protocol, you can interact with it without necessarily needing the permission from your centralized IT organization. And DBT operates the same way. The way that it interacts with your databases via SQL. And so you, for dbt core, the open source product, you don't need any permissions from anybody other than you need credentials to the the warehouse. The commercial product that we sell, part of the value of it is that it provides an IDE, an integrated development environment that is natively built to facilitate the development of dbt code. And so then depending on the organization that you're at, you know, for smaller organizations, it is it's still quite easy for a data analyst, data engineer to swipe a credit card and get up and running in, in you know five minutes. But for larger organizations that need integration with their SSO or you know whatever else, it is often a centrally purchased and provisioned product. Then again, the nice thing about being open core is that at the largest organizations in the world, you still have folks that are, you know, ICs doing the work that have downloaded DBT, played around with it. And by the time they talk to us about our managed version, they are already experienced users and they we don't have to sell them on the value.
0: Makes sense. And once someone gets up and running with it, can you talk a little bit about the learning curve? What do I have to know to take my SQL knowledge and start working in DBT?
1: Yeah, I mentioned the first two functions that every DBT developer learns. I think that honestly, it's less a learning curve about learning the syntax that DBT... Makes available to you. It is more about how to adjust your brain from a procedural way of doing data transformation to a more declarative way of doing data transformation. So in dbt, every single model is a single select statement. And so in a data warehouse, everything is either a table or a view, right? And all tables and views have rows and columns. And if you are working on a Modern data warehouse, the SQL dialect that you have access to is like really unbelievably expressive if you relate it to the SQL dialect that I learned in the beginning of my career in the early 2000s. And one of the big changes there has been window functions. Window functions enable you to express things in SQL that you just like literally couldn't do in 2003. And so now the job is okay, how do you express what the data set should look like at the end of whatever transformation it has to go through. And oftentimes for a data analyst that is used to expressing this in Excel or a point-and-click-based product, the idea of like trying to express all of this stuff in a single select statement feels a little foreign. And you you learn all these tricks of the trade. So like how do you join against a days table? how do you use a distinct clause combined with a bunch of window functions to get a dimension model for your customers? These tend to be the the things that are involved in learning DBT. And it's, it's, so it's less about learning DBT, the product. It's more about learning the practice of what we call analytics engineering. And we teach people the analytics engineering workflow and kind of tricks of the trade in a two day long course. And there are certainly like tons of resources online now to learn this, but it's not like an excessive thing to go through to learn how to do this. But it's also not the kind of thing that just like programming, you don't learn the basics of programming in a single class in school. And then you're like an expert programmer. This is the kind of thing that you're going to learn how to do over the course of a couple of weeks, and then you're going to learn to get good at it over, you know, a number of years.
0: Are there any early wins you see companies realizing as they adopt DBT?
1: Hmm. Yeah. There's a lot that kind of happens very quickly after you adopt DBT. You find that the simplicity of the architecture, you just like don't need as many humans to maintain your data infrastructure to debug, jobs that have failed. You also find that things just operate really quickly. DBT expresses logic in a way that databases really want to do processing. Like cloud data warehouses are these tremendous relational algebra engines. And DBT expresses logic in a way that this these engines can like really crunch through very quickly. So what you find is that teams, like relatively small teams of data professionals can do a tremendous amount of work very quickly. One of our favorite customer stories is JetBlue. They replatformed onto Snowflake and DBT. And I don't even remember how big their team is, like 10 or 20 people. But they have built thousands of data transformations in DBT. And yet they've significantly increased the SLA that their downstream users have of the data. And they've like very significantly increase the speed with which data flows through the overall system. So at this point, JetBlue actually uses DBT-powered data to serve reports to gate agents to let you know if you're going to make your connecting flight. So obviously, timeliness is really important there. And that's just not something that they were able to do using the infrastructure that they had previously.
0: Very interesting. Are, are there any key insights to what DBT makes available that facilitates that increase?
1: It is a combination of being native to these modern database platforms and a combination of the fact that it's working with the optimizer. If you try to write code procedurally, data warehouses are not actually going to make that tremendously fast. But if you think about how Snowflake or Bigquery Is architected under the surface, it is actually built to do these massive table scans to distribute the workload across large, large number of machines to process each of those little bits individually and then collect that result back together and report it back to you. So the scalability of the underlying platform really works in your favor if you can give it these big, chunky jobs to do. And that ends up not being what you're doing when you use logic that includes a lot of loops. It's the same reason why like, if you're doing data work in something like Pandas or something like that, you want to use mapper functions as opposed to loop functions.
0: What's the story for testing and maybe even regression testing? How can I leverage DBT to give a little bit more confidence that we're going to roll out good software in the form of queries and procedures and views and that sort of thing?
1: This is an area that has been a part of the product since the very beginning, but there's still more work to do there. So, the thing that DBT does really well today is it allows you to assert things to be true of the data sets that you are building. And so, you can say, in my customers table, every row should have a customer ID, every customer email should be unique, that kind of stuff. And then over time, as you're building up your DBT project, you write more and more of these tests, and you run DBT tests, and it runs everything. And you know, many companies who are using DBT well will have hundreds or thousands of these tests, and it becomes this like really wonderful way of saying like, okay, is the data in my warehouse actually working today? And you integrate that with your CI/CD process and you feel really good about the data that that exists in production. The challenge is that there's a real dependency there on the underlying data. And a lot of times the the analyst doesn't actually control the underlying data. And so your tests can fail because you received data that you weren't expecting. And that's certainly one type of failure, and it's, it's an important one to track down. One of the things that we hear from the community these days and that we're super interested in spending more time on how do you test the code itself in ways that are independent of of the underlying data and that would look maybe a little bit more like unit testing in software engineering we're not there yet there are some like ways that people have implemented this none of them are what we consider to be super ergonomic but we're interested in doing more there there's also another type of data testing that honestly I don't I don't know that we're that well positioned to do and and we'll probably end up just leaving this for, for others. But there are companies that help you look at the data itself in your warehouse and say, that's strange. This data used to look like this and now it is starting to look like this. And you should probably look into that. It probably means that either something is broken in your systems or that something strange is actually going on in your business, and you probably want to know about that. And so that's more known as anomaly detection, and it's typically much more algorithmic than it is declarative. And so we think it's a super interesting category, and there's, there's a bunch of products that are starting to do this in the modern data stack. But we care a little bit more about what you would typically call like software testing, like integration and, and unit testing.
0: Makes sense. And tell me about the pitch for DBT Cloud. What's the offering there?
1: Yeah, DBT Cloud is, is two parts. It helps you move to production with your DBT workloads, which is a scheduler and a CICD platform, and all of the logging and alerting that you would expect from a mature production data platform. And then it also helps you write DBT code in the first place uh, using an IDE that's browser-based, and it provides a lot of native DBT experiences that you wouldn't get if you were just like running Atom or VS Code or something like that on your in your local environment. So at the very small end, you've got very small teams who want to get up and running with DBT. This helps those teams without necessarily having a technical resource who can you know run a production environment for them. It helps them run DBT in a first-class way, like very mature way. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have very, very large organizations who have hundreds, thousands of of data people. And all of those data people don't necessarily want to use the command line, don't want to learn to type git commands. And the DBT's development environment provides them a very accessible on-ramp to begin doing analytics engineering in in a modern way. Are there aspects of your roadmap you're comfortable talking about? Oh my gosh, we are a very transparent company. I'm comfortable talking about a lot of stuff. We're at the very early stages here. So I was saying before that, you know, if you compare this change to, you know, where we were in software engineering, you're you're probably, you know, 15 years ago or something like that. And there's obviously been a a lot of movement that's happened in the subsequent 15 years of of software engineering. And data is like really and truly playing catch up, I think. And so what are some of the ways that we think we can play a part there. There's certainly a lot of maturing to do. You know, actually, DBT is still version zero software. Um, we are moving towards version one. That's probably going to come in the November, December-ish timeframe. So there's there's a certain amount of just like API stability that we're excited about getting to and are almost there. There's also this really interesting angle where DBT if your organization has really made an investment in, in using DBT, what you have expressed in all of the hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of human hours that you have spent in writing DBT code is you've expressed how information flows through your company. And DBT now understands that because you're not expressing it in some kind of weekly typed programming language where, you know, for instance, Airflow doesn't actually know that much about what data transformations are being run through it. But dbt really actually does understand what you're trying to do. It understands how the data flows from object to object. We're really interested in actually parsing the SQL that you are writing and getting to a layer where we can look at column-to-column mapping. Column-level lineage, I think, is super interesting and important. But that means that we can do things for organizations like help them discover all of the data sets that exist inside of their business. So, you know, a single search bar that gets you relevancy scored results for, you know, data sets. We can help you understand when dashboards that your executives rely on are powered by data that is either late or incorrect. All of this, because we understand the information flows through your organization, there's a tremendous amount that we can do with that. And we are just at the very beginning of being able to actually devote resources internally to building some of this product surface area. You know it turns out to be hard work to build the data transformation product in, in the first place, and so that's where we've been focused to date. But the future involves a lot of <laughs> a lot of new new frontiers that we're really excited about.
0: Well, it seems that DBT is probably the tool that data analysts want to be looking at, and maybe they're the evangelists who bring it into their organizations. For a listener like that who's tuning in and hearing about DBT for the first time, can you maybe speak to what some of the earliest benefits they're going to gain are? Uh, Why should they go and explore this maybe even independently to see if it's the right tool to help them move forward?
1: Okay, let me go in a different direction with this question. I think that many times when a data analyst discovers DBT, the first thing that they are struck by is the vibrancy and welcomingness of the community that surrounds it. So actually, let me look. I think, yeah, we just crossed 18,000 members of the dbt community. The heart of the dbt community is a a Slack channel that is like incredibly active and very, very supportive of, of new users. And we repeatedly get the feedback that dbt is an awesome tool and helps empower its users. But the dbt community is what kind of creates a sense of identity for especially early career data analysts. It helps them understand where their career path could go, what kinds of investments they should be making in their own learning and development. And it is the way that people get themselves out of jams where like they have to solve a problem that they just can't figure out. It turns out that this community is just like tremendously underserved broadly in like every way that you can imagine, like from a tooling perspective, from like you go to Stack Overflow and you try to find good answers to these kinds of questions and like, they really just don't exist. So maybe that's not the answer that you're looking for, but I really think that that is one of the biggest wow experiences. When you start working with DBT, you get introduced to this community and you're like, oh my gosh, I will never stop being a member of this community
0: Well, to wrap up, tell me a little bit more about how listeners can engage, Uh, get on that Slack channel and explore things for themselves.
1: Yeah, everything comes together at getdbt.com. You can hop over to the community from there and join up. You can download dbt core and start using it. You can sign up for dbt cloud and use that as your on-ramp. And I write a weekly newsletter called the Analytics Engineering Roundup, which you can Google and find. But if anything that I've said, has resonated with you. That is every two weeks version of my brain that that shows up in your inbox.
0: Well, very cool. I hope listeners follow up and check that out. seems like a
1: great resource.
0: Tristan, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Software Engineering Daily.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun.